Colin, thanks for joining me today and talking about your music. Um, you said you didn't watch the football last night because you didn't want to be disappointed. Um, you, you must be one of the only people in the country that didn't watch it, I think. Um, well, I, we... um, I used to watch it. I used to watch the big games, but um, I don't know. It, I think football's lost its way. It's all about money, I think, now. Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. Well, you know, we won. It will keep the people of Britain happy for five minutes <laughs> until until we play the next game. I'm sure there'll be years before bedtime. <laughs> well, we know, we know, you, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say that really. Yeah, I know everybody's like all the way down my road last night afterwards. Um, verses of it's coming home. Um, so... <laughs> Skinner, you know, will be really pleased that, you know, the royalties will start pouring in again for his song. Um, <laughs> some, someone will certainly gain. So you're you're back out with a, a single, um, The Hardest Battle, yes. coming up, which is... Um, I love the coat of arms, by the way. Is 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 there a significance in the, the sort of coat of arms that you've got well, on the, I, the um, artwork? In the lyrics, um, it says, um, it describes sort of birds. And um, in the last verse, it said, strange little bird. Um, you know, I've forgotten the own lyrics now, but something about, what's the strangest bird that I yeah. know? Yeah. And I suppose um, it's the griffin. So I thought, I'll scout around for griffins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Griffin, so um, I found one and we used it. Yeah, but uh, it's got a crown on, so it, it obviously thinks highly of itself, you know. So um, are, are you yeah. in, are you into history? By the way, are you, is are you is history a, a a big thing for you? Um, yes, yes, I like uh, churches, places of antiquity. I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't think we look after them enough over here, you know. Well, do you know what? That's that's a that's a really interesting thing because I'm going to tell you a little story now. My foray into or my introduction into XTC was actually through my uncle, who's obviously a fair bit older than me. Um, but he, I went to stay at my uncle's house in Hastings. Um, which has obviously got a lot of historical uh, uh, factors to it. And he's an architect, but he had these XTC albums, which I was fascinated by. And um, and I was fascinated by him, really, as, as well as a character, because my family never really talked very much about each other, or they don't really talk full stop. But he's, he was always a really quirky character and always really interested in history. Um, and I, you could tell he was quirky because he had two cats, one named Black One and one named White One. And 
in the end, he ended up being a restoration architect. He was incredibly interested in history and things like coats of arms. So it's just it's just an interesting little segue there. He's the guy that introduced me in my life, introduced me to XTC. But he would be incredibly pleased that you're into churches as well, because he's actually saved and helped to restore many, many medieval churches. Well, when you go into them, you you're immediately struck by that musty kind of smell. And you get that musty smell in secondhand bookshops as well. It's just the smell of age, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I used to cycle round to a lot of churches and I had this thing about putting my name in the visitor's book, you know. Oh, uh, you've done that. Yeah. Talking about sort of in the 60s, you know. And um, I was just a thing, you know, and uh, I, I've stuck with it. I, I've always loved them, you know, so nothing more than that, really. Yeah, there's a there's a I, I forget where it's what it's called now, but there's a um, there's a the church in a in an estate going down south from here. I'm, I'm based in um, Somerset and uh, it was there's the original church and then next to it which which is a ruin and then next to it there's the church that replaced it but the whole of the first church got destroyed by the black plague all right um, so it's like a coventry cathedral job is it yeah, yeah yeah it's a really fascinating fascinating place and again you've got you've got the book like a little visitor's book there and actually the visitor's book dates back to the the original church as well so it's, it's just really interesting to see that history Right. What's what's the name of the church? I do you know what it, it escapes me. I'll probably find out afterwards, and I'll, I'll text you to you know what it is. But it's part of the same development as More Wellham Key, where they do. You can go on site, and that's that's a, a mine, and you can you can dress up in 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 old mining clothes and whatever, and go down the mine. It's really quite quite a wonderful place. I, I love escaping back into history for five minutes. I think it reminds us of. Of where we came from yeah yeah certainly yeah so tell me that the harmonies on this this song wonderful so are you, are you still i mean you still loving singing yes i love singing yes um because of the pandemic I, I had to pretty much plug everything up and do everything myself you know that was a bit of a test uh lots of harm lots of vocals to do and only one person to do it you know so yeah think, so it was done kind of piecemeal you know one thing after another and yeah it takes ages plus there was equipment problems i couldn't record a note for five months because there was something up with the vocal chain oh no dropping volume which i couldn't figure out what it was so lots of pieces of equipment had to go away to the menders and Trying to get anything repaired with the pandemic going on is a bit of a nightmare, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, so you were well practiced by the time you came to actually record it then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it was quite frustrating, but I always find that recording is not the best bit for me. Right. I, I enjoy the process of discovery and. Uh, you know, it's like that Hitchcock thing where he didn't particularly like making his films. What he enjoyed was doing the storyboarding, you know. So yeah. He, he could kind of uh, 
draw what he wanted to see in the camera. And I think that was thrilling to him. And yeah. So, so where does that process start for you then? Does that does that actually start with, do you actually write notes down about what a song should be about first before you even start to, to put a note down? Or, or are you talking about sort of sketching things out on an instrument as well? Um, well, it, the lyrics and the music are arrived at, at different times usually. And then some sort of marriage takes place. Um, with the music, I, I'm on the hardest battle. I was, <laughs> I was just noodling with the chords of Nimrod by Algar, and uh, just playing them. What well, I thought, of course, getting them all wrong as one does. But, <laughs> doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> it's out of that wrongness that the song will come, you know. Yeah. And, um, and then on the lyrical side, I um. I, I like to go around second-hand bookshops and see what's around. And I found this little uh, pocket, pocket positives, it was called. And uh, basically there's just um, quotes from different famous people about certain aspects of life. And there was one by E.E. Um, e. Cummings about, uh, well, I've got it. Just happened to have it. Oh, all right. This, right. is, this is the original. This is the original where it came from. As a, the pocket positives, yeah. Nice, lovely and, little. Yeah, and um, there was a, a quote by E. E. Cummings. I think he's, I think he's an American poet, although it says in this book he's an English one. But I think he's American. It says you're to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you like everybody else means to fight the hardest battle. Mm. I, I thought, my God, there might be a song there, you know. Yeah. There's me, there's me opening line, you know. So that was it, really. And then these chords to Nimrod, and I'm getting it wrong. So it kind of, there was a marriage there. And I thought, well, yes, I'll, I'll work on this then, you know. And then it becomes like a crossword puzzle, which you have to work out, uh, you know, um, whether the feeling that you get from a line when it falls on the music whether it gives off what you want it to give off you know yeah um, is it i mean is that something you you felt over the years as well that the hardest thing is to be yourself <laughs> and true to yourself i think most people aren't themselves you know my parents never were they used yeah. to say you know Carl, just be yourself and everything will be all right but the moment yeah. anybody came to the door they were never themselves you know <laughs> <laughs> It's a peculiar, it's a peculiarly English thing as well, isn't it? I mean, we we even in small talk, the English don't, you know, you say, "How are you? I'm fine." <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh. Well, yes, yes, the English kind of do that, don't they? You know, even though that they're, they're probably tearing their insides out at the time. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I always say. I think for the young, they're never themselves. I think um, they have to jack themselves up. It's a confidence thing, I suppose. You can be yourself when you're confident, can't you? Um, yeah. But uh, you know, you you see young kids lighting a cigarette up on a street corner very ostentatiously. Now, at that point, they're not themselves. They're they're somebody. They're like Clint Eastwood. You know, they're Clint Eastwood yeah. at that time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or going on their phones very ostentatiously. Well, I was going to say that. Do you think that's even more of a realism these days with 
technology and the fact that everybody is hiding behind yeah. a, a piece of technology and we're all having these conversations with all these people that we don't even know and you're having to put in the front on it's, peculiar, it's a most peculiar way of going on i think you know yeah i think on on the social media you can be anyone you like you know um and um if they don't think themselves that interesting then there'll be somebody else you know that's yeah that's a, it's a very peculiar world at the moment i think you have to be i think you have to really know yourself first before you do it if you're going to avoid going mad or 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 certainly having issues because i mean i that's my day job is i'm, I'm a social media marketer <laughs> but you know at the end of the day i think you have to be really comfortable in your own skin and you have to be really comfortable with um you know not really caring about what the rest of the world thinks um before yeah. you before you do that otherwise you know you can find yourself in a lot of trouble yeah well, well i was on social media for a short time and um one of the things i i discovered was that um you know people would post very incidental stuff. I mean, if they boil an egg, they've got to put it on, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, Certain well, platforms are like that, yeah. <laughs> this thing is quite, can be quite tiresome, you know. The camera yeah. for attention is palpable, you know. Yeah. Well, that is true. I mean, even even though I, I, I do or I have done look after uh, Facebook sometimes for a couple of clients, I, I don't sit on there myself uh, for that pure reason i just find the stream of uh you know oh look i'm i walked into a shop i bought uh, a magazine yeah <laughs> it's kind of like this narrative of your day which really is completely uninteresting i don't i don't really need to follow follow you that closely you know yeah absolutely if someone's got something really exciting to shout about I totally understand it, but of course, on the other side, the coin—they're absolute for me. They're a godsend because it helps spread the word, especially on something like this. You know, yeah, uh, you can reach so many, a lot of people in in a short time. You know, so you know that's on the good side. So certainly, from my end of it, you know, definitely. Tom Morley, who um, is listening who was a guest of mine the other day on a, on a program that I did. Uh, Tom, Tom was the drummer in Scritty Plitty. Oh yes. Yeah. So we used to make North London pilgrimages from Camden to Stoke Newington to see XTC. Scritty were all big fans, late seventies. Uh, that would go. be the Rochester castle, I think was yeah. the, at that time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom's a lovely guy. Um, he he now does uh like motivational workshops with with people in companies um and uses uses drums and and djing etc to to motivate people which is a which is a wonderful thing yeah yeah how 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 do you how do you find that music your music has actually uh changed people over the years or as you've spoken to people that have you have you had feedback really I mean, you must have had some wonderful feedback from people about how your music has actually affected them. Have you got any stories to that effect? 
Um, well, I more recently, I when when we did the TCNI thing and there was the track "Scatter Me," uh, I think uh, somebody piped up and said that uh, they played it at their I don't know at their loved one's funeral. You know, right? That was quite touching. You know, that that's that's one that springs to mind. Can't think of any others that. Uh, Oh, there was the ball and chain demolition thing about the, you know, the, that was quite a furore about that, about the demolition of some houses in Swindon, you know. Um, and uh, it was ball and chain, the, the XTC song at the time. So uh, that, you know, that uh, received quite a bit of attention, you know. Um, but um, I suspect there's a few more which I can't remember, you know. <laughs> Where, when did music start for you? Were you starting in music at an early age? Um, I think probably in assembly at school. There were certain uh, hymns at school which used to move me. Mm. I noticed that, you know, I, I was on the point of weeping in some instances, you know, where I, uh, a couple that comes to uh, Jerusalem. Definitely the lyrics by William Blake, and um, also um, I vow to thee, my country, the Holst um, middle, if you like, yes, Jupiter. Um, but you know, I noticed that music moved me profoundly, yeah. you know, and um, then the pop hits of the sixties and stuff, the Kinks and uh, Small Faces, and you know, um, and melody, you know, I felt. There's something about melody which actually moves me quite a bit, and uh, and I suppose it was it was yes it was all that really, and um, then when I got to fourteen or fifteen, I thought well I wouldn't mind having a stab at playing, uh, learning an instrument, you know, and then there was all the heavy stuff going on, you know, stuff like Jethro Tull and uh, you know which I got into, grew my hair excessively long and you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, it was a great trade in second-hand records at the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, people used to carry them around like banners, you know. Of course, they were bigger then. They had the vinyl, you know, the big 12-inch vinyl. And, uh, you know, you used to see these long-haired types sort of putting their head backs to make their hair longer, carrying these albums around, you know. Yeah. Did you gravitate towards bass quite quite early on, or did did you learn guitar first? No, no, I was I um, was drawn to bass. Yeah, one of the first LPs I ever bought was uh, Free Fire and Water. Wow, single <laughs> right now, and I was very taken with the middle. The, the, um, it's like a bass solo going on while the guitar is winding around, and I remember I really liked the, the way the bassist played it. it it almost sounds like an elastic band. Um, and I'd never heard it played like that before. And I was drawn to it. Um, you know, I think Andy Fraser was the bass player in Free. And um, I enjoyed his playing very much. And I bought the album and, uh, you know, it really, really fired me up to play. And um, so it was from that point I decided I was... But I was going to be a bass guitarist, you know. Do you remember what your first bass guitar was? Yes, it was a Shaftesbury copy. All right. 
of a Rickenbacker. Yeah. Uh, not the Rickenbacker, not the 4001 uh, big horn that you get at the front. No, not one of them. It was the other one. Yeah. Uh, it was based upon uh, the old um, Rickenbacker 12-string look, you know, that uh, yeah. John Lennon made famous. You know. Yeah, uh, it was that shape, and um, it was a huge dent out of it, <laughs> which Andy informed me was his mate, and he'd flogged it to Kempster's the local music store, and I bought it from Kempster's. So he he knew the background of how the dent got there, you know. Do you know what? Do you know what I love about? I, I don't know whether it happens quite so much now, but back in the day, I mean, even when I was fourteen and went went into a band or whatever, there was so much go, so much of this buying everybody else's instrument, or but you you know you sort of bought instruments that you knew the history of because even if they'd sold it to the local music shop as you say someone would go well yeah my mate had that and they they've just sold it to the music shop and if you go down there now you can get it it doesn't i don't know whether those things happen anymore but i love that kind of history of instruments yeah well i knew somebody who had a rickenbacker see at the time uh, the playing of chris squire in yes um, that fired a lot of people up. That, that Didn't it just? Yeah. That, that guy sold more Rickenbacker basses than, than anybody, I think. Yeah, uh, I think so. Time. And uh, I know a guy who worked in the local music store, Kempster's, and um, he said he'd bought the bass and was just keeping it under his bed. He couldn't play it. <laughs> and didn't really wish to play it because he wanted to keep it in mint condition, you know. So he, um, yeah. It was bizarre, but he had this Rickenbacker, just like Chris Squires, under his bed. And I tried to coax him to sell it to me, but he wouldn't, you know. <laughs> what a waste. What a waste. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. Did you did you like Yes, or did, uh, was it just? Yes, I got into them at the time, yeah. Yeah. Fragile and close to the edge, you know, roundabout and, you know. <sighs> Yours is no disgrace, and all those. You know, I have yeah. to. I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, fragile. Fragile was my first yes album, and you just. Yeah. You you sort of sat there, and and I must admit, you just gravitate to that bass because you just think. Yes. How does he do that? <laughs> Not enough bark on it, and also enough weight as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a great sound. Of course, I um, I went to see Yes, the latest incarnation of Yes, with Billy Squire playing bass, and I worked yeah. with Billy on a few tracks. I uh, supplied vocals to some of the tracks that he's worked on. Yeah. And he said, "Well, we're touring in the UK. Do you want to come to Oxford New Theatre to see us?" And that, you know, and we'd been working online. And I'd never met him, and. Uh, he said, well, come to New Theatre and you can come backstage and meet the guys, you know. And, uh, oh, cool. Billy's uh, been on this programme. So, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was uh, holed up in California um, and desperate to get out and play live music again. Uh, are you desperate to go out and play again in front of people or, or are you quite happy now? No, I'm making music. I'm happy, I think. Well, yeah. Yeah, I've been a studio musician for 35 years, so, you know, yeah. playing those TC&I gigs was a bit of a shock to the system, really. I mean, yeah. that was really why I wanted 
to finish it with Terry, but not because we weren't getting along. We, you know, we, we st we're, we're still good together, but um, his agenda was slightly different to mine. You know, he wanted to uh, play live and basically pick up the chalice where we left off in 1982. And I said, well, it's not really my bag, but you know, you've been kind enough to help me out with the EP. Yeah. And, uh, okay. We'll do some shows, you know, uh, but I, I didn't really want to tour the world. And I said, well, what about having some set piece shows here in Swindon, you know? And um, so that's what we did. And it worked out really good, you know, but I didn't really want to expand on that. And I didn't want any resentment setting up. So I thought it best to just leave it there, you know? Well, I, I will be amiss if I don't mention at this point, by the way, that um, Keely, who's a, a up and coming singer songwriter who I interviewed the other day, said you are without doubt her favorite ever bass player and uh and one of her favorite singer songwriters as well so she yeah, should be really pleased that i've mentioned that um and check her out because she's uh, she's writing some great stuff tell me about the tell me about the rest of the album because you this this is a a single to lead into the rest of the album it is no no there is no album i should well, there's no album with this no Oh, oh I just, I've just forced you into it now. <laughs> no, no, don't presume anything in this game. I'm breaking the convention. No, it was just a, a lockdown single, really. Right, right. And Burning Shed said, well, you, I said, do you do singles? You know, because I've always loved singles culture. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, we do, but have you got anything else to put on, you know? I said, well, I've got the demo. He said, well, you got anything else? I said, well, this is track, which I had, which has been covered before by XTC. But really, um, it wasn't the version that I really wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was an expedient to actually, because I knew that perhaps we weren't going to make another album. You know, right. I thought, and that's where it was heading. Uh, Say It, it's called, the track. And... Um, I had it planned for the forthcoming XTC album that never was. And after a while, I began to realize that, you know, Andy really didn't have any intention of making another XTC record. So I thought, well, it's got to catch a bus to somewhere. So I got the Pugwash guys to help me out. Uh, some of the piano chords were quite tricky. So Duncan from Pugwash uh, played the keyboards. And uh, so we got it done, you know, but I realized then it was, it came out on a promo record and it was a kind of, it was sort of, it deserved a better fate, you know, than what he yeah. got. Yeah. Said, well, I thought to myself, well, I've got this original version, which I did with a local keyboard player called John Bucket. And um, I kind of preferred it in a way. Um, so I said, well, I've got this track and it, you know, I told the story and uh, he said, well, why don't you put that on? So that's what happened. And it was, it was my original demo, but uh you mentioned the word demo and people sort of get a bit sniffy about it. So I, I thought, well, the way Stuart Rose mixed it, I, I got it remixed and uh, he, um, he did a really good job. And I thought, well, I, I'm going to drop the word demo then because uh, it's good enough to be a, uh, you know, a finished recording. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what's, what, what's the word demo mean? <laughs> it means that a DJ probably wouldn't play it. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, are you going to do more singles? Is is that the plan? Do you do you want to 
do you want to carry well, on? I, I don't. Albums take too long, you know, especially yeah. if you're working on your own. You know, you, I haven't really got time to hang about, you know. No. <laughs> you run what, keep, what, keeps you, what keeps you busy these days, Colin? Sorry? What keeps you busy these days? Uh, well, kind of family stuff, you know. I've got grandchildren now, and that's good. Yeah. And uh, my garden. And music, of course, you know, I plug in the laptop most mornings, you plug the keyboard in. And I like to work in bed, as they say, um, plug the keyboard in and then just tinker, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't go into the studio unless I've got to record, really, and uh, and do interviews, of course. Um, <laughs> is, there, is anyone from the family following you into music at all or not? Yeah, my boy, he's he's been in bands years, you know. He's yeah. a drummer, very good drummer, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, it's difficult to have the breaks than when we were around, you know. It was the pub scene in London was, you know, it was a blast back then, you know. And um, getting the breaks now is more difficult. It's a, the whole scene has changed since since we started, you know. It's yeah. Different, um, you, you, when you signed, you got a six-album deal, and you were fairly confident that you'd go two-thirds of the, of the way through before they, before they gave you the axe. You know, but, you've got to be uh, much more of a business person these days, haven't you? In a way, if you're gonna, well, I think if you don't have a hit on the first record, they give you the job. You know, yeah. There's, there's no artist development. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> the goods, otherwise you're out. You know, and uh, so and. The first two albums we, we did were moderately successful. They weren't, you know, ecstatic by any means. And yet, you know, Virgin had faith in us. Yeah. And um, it paid off, I think. But yeah. you know, now I don't think we'd have, I think after the first or maybe even second album, we'd have got the job if it had been now, you know. So big difference in outlook, I think. From well, definitely. And I, and I think a lot, of, a lot of young artists, are, you know, take most of the the matter into their own hands anyway and and self-promote uh yeah. and you know try and build a following do all of the business aspect behind the you know uh the well the top studios are expensive i mean in real terms um, the cost of recording has come down yeah it's hideously expensive back in 77 when we started or signed and you know top studio in London will cost you about £1,200 a day, you know. Um, it's still expensive now, but, you know, back then, 1200 quid was a shitload of money, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, the cost of recording has come down, but it's still expensive unless you, you know, go the, unless you record it yourself, you know, which is what I do. And you've got a nice little setup there in the background. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it's pretty basic. It's just my garage that's been converted, really. You know. Yeah. This is where we did the, the TC&I stuff, and, you know, we, we had good fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Colin. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, I, I hope I haven't tried to push you into an album. Because... <laughs> But but you know if you did, we'll if, you did right. one, if you did make one we would listen to it okay <laughs> I do say but um 
such long-winded things to do you know yeah on your own with a pandemic going on you know how much time yeah. have you got you know <laughs> well you run to the doctors at my age you don't walk you know <laughs> well and let's face it colin you've made you've made a fair few albums in your time anyway haven't you so you know i think you've done your fair share there so yeah. well, singles are fun you know uh, absolutely and and also you know with a single you can you don't necessarily have to develop a theme do you You don't actually have to think about how these things sit in with each other um no so. i used to squirrel them away you see until i had more but i my squirreling days are over you know yeah when i get them you'll you can have them you know yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> instant well that's very that's very modern day of you colin so yes, i'm a modern day man it's that's it so when when when's this single actually being released uh this friday i think this friday well that's perfect time probably, probably dropping on people's doormats even as we speak fantastic and if people want to order it they can go to uh, is it on Bandcamp? no it's on burning shed burning shed, oh, burning is shed. Old distributor of this masterpiece so go to burning shed and uh, i'm sure they've got a few hanging around yeah well let's fill the world with it because it's a it's a great song and Thank it's and, and it's a, actually it's a song i think that a lot of people need to hear into lyrically um coming out of that wonderful book which which was yes, you know, positives, yes. yeah but in a way you see good sayings like that good wisdom like that never fades or never never ages does it you know no, no no and what you've done is you've picked it up and you've given it another lease of life and you've put it back out there again for the world so you you've 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 moved that wisdom on um, well, i'm sure it's been done to death before that you know um what's what's that mama cast thing that came out make your own kind of music sing your own special song you know remember that one yeah uh, it's a similar sentiment i suppose yeah there's, yeah. there's as well i think yeah but oh, well, uh, i think i think it's important that uh, it's a, it's an important message especially in a world where uh as I say people are struggling seem to be struggling more and more with what it means to to be yourself and have your own identity i think it's a it's an important message so i, I think i hope it some people they go through life and they're never themselves you know yeah you know, well, that's want. important. You've definitely been yourself, Colin. <laughs> that's one <laughs> <a> link, then. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. And okay. um, pleasure. I, I look forward to uh, hearing more music from you in the future, in single form. Yeah, okay, Graham. Uh, nice to talk to you. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. Cheers, Colin. Yeah, bye, bye for now.